We just sang a song that asked a very important question. Really, when you think about it, if heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? And the answer is, if we're lost, if we don't have heaven as our home uh, when we die, then we're going to be lost. And so the answer is that we need to make sure that we're in a saved condition while we're here on this earth. That we're going to do what the Bible teaches us that we need to do in order to be saved. And then we can have the assurance of a home in heaven with our Father in heaven. We can have the same assurance that the Apostle Paul had when he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew that that crown was laid up for him. That there was victory in the end. And it wasn't for him only, but for all those who love the Lord and his appearing. And so it's something that we can look forward to, and we know that the, uh, that, that the promises that our Lord has made of a home in heaven are real. And that we can have that part uh, in that kingdom that we've been talking about for the last two Sunday mornings, anyways. I want to again plug that app for memorizing verses in the Bible. No one in the group that's on those apps knows what you're memorizing or what you're forgetting or what you have committed to. They just know that there's a number, I think it's 150 verses if I remember right, that have been presented out there and you can memorize as you go. Uh, tonight on the way in, I tested it uh, by, not the app, but I tested it my app that was in the back seat. I asked Isaac to uh, turn to Matthew the 5th chapter, and I started quoting Matthew the 5th chapter. He's better than that app. You don't get away with anything on him. Because he'll point out what you missed, and you don't miss one jot or one tittle uh, when it comes to what uh, when you're using him. But that app is uh, pretty user friendly, and and it's very I think effective uh, in helping us to memorize uh, different verses. And so if you're not on that app, I would encourage you to to uh, be a part of it. You know I mentioned there, you know, if heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? I think that's an appropriate introduction to what we're talking about tonight. Because we realize that the New Testament teaches us that it is very possible that we can be unfaithful to God. That even as a child of God, that we can go back into the world and that we can be lost. And we can lose our soul. And we don't want that to happen. And as we see John... We mentioned this morning that we mentioned the prayer that Jesus prayed. That was recorded by John where He says, Sanctify them with Thy truth, for Thy Word is truth. God's Word is the truth. And we need to understand that it is an absolute truth and that we can understand what He wants us to know in order to have salvation. And John here in 1 John, the whole book, and we see in 2 John that there's a great emphasis on that truth. Because he found this lady-elect, her family, that they were walking in truth. They knew the truth and he could recognize that in their lives. And we need to have that truth in our life to the point where people can see it. And hopefully it will generate questions and they'll ask us those questions and it will give us an opportunity to share the good news of the truth of God's Word with them. But we also realize that we can lose that focus on the truth. And our text that we looked at here in verse 8 is a warning for us. 
And there are several words which are translated in the English with the words like look or behold or take heed. And there's warnings that are there. But the strongest word that is used in the original language is found in this verse. When he says look, that word is blepo in the original, and that uh, word uh, is one of the most or the strongest words that we can use, or that is used in that language, to emphasize the fact that we need to be on guard. That we realize that we can look to our, we need to look to ourselves to make sure that what we hear is the truth, and to make sure that we are abiding in that truth, as uh, Jesus taught in uh, John chapter fifteen. For we realize that there are false teachers and false doctrines that are being taught then in the time of John that they're also being taught today. There are people that are teaching things that are contrary to God's Word, but yet they'll use a little bit of Scripture to try to make it say what they want it to say. And as I, you know, sometimes we'll ask, how much poison do you want before you'll refuse to eat something? You know what? Just a little bit of mashed potatoes with a little bit of poison? Well, you say, well, I don't want a lot, but would you want a little bit? The truth with a little bit of false teaching is just as dangerous as an entire subject of false teaching. And so, false teachers are real. And in our text, it's pertinent to us because in our day, there are false views of Christ that are being taught. And what should a Christian's response be to the religious world that we see so much error in? And sometimes even in the church, we can see error that is presented. Well, we need to realize the danger. We need to understand that there should be a response that we have to that danger. And then we can look at the reason why we should respond and why we need to be on guard. As John tells us, there is a real danger. He says, look to yourselves. There are in other words, watch out. Be careful. We know what those words mean. If you're walking down the trail, I've hiked several trails, then there's been in areas where there's rattlesnakes or copperheads, and you're constantly on the lookout for those things. You want to make sure you don't step on one. You want to make sure you don't get near to one. And if you come close, you're going to move away and you're going to try to avoid it. So we understand what it means to look or to watch or to be on guard. And that's what John's telling us here. You see, if God's people are so secure in God's grace that they could never fall, then why did John give us this admonition? If we are so saved, as some people want to say, when you're saved, you cannot fall from grace. You cannot sin in such a way that you will ever be lost. Then why is John giving us this warning? Jesus warned of false teachers and false prophets. In Matthew the fifteenth chapter or seventh chapter, verse fifteen, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We understand that it's easy to look good. It's easy to sound good. It's easy to look like you're a good preacher or a good teacher, when in fact the message that you have will cause people to be lost if they follow that. And so you may sound good, what you're hearing it may sound good, but if it's not the truth, it's not going to save our soul. And so Jesus warns us, and if it doesn't really matter what one believes, then how could there be such a one as a false prophet? You hear people say, you believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. If that's the case, if that's true, 
And how could there ever be a false prophet or a false teacher? Because we could all believe whatever we want. It's not going to lead us to heaven. And Jesus is plain about that. You see, religious error does not save, it condemns. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, it says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions, that they shall believe a lie, that they all may be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. That truth is there. That truth is available. That truth has come down from God and is given to us. It's in His Word. And if we don't have a love for that truth, then we're going to go after something else that sounds good. That what we may like gives us pleasure, makes us happy, makes us feel good. The truth of the matter is, when you look at God's Word, sometimes there's things in there that does not make us happy. Sometimes if we're caught up in some sin and we see that the Bible condemns that sin, it doesn't make us happy. It should make us sad and make us want to repent. That should bring about the godly sorrow that Paul tells us about that brings forth repentance. Not enough just to be sorry. We need to have that godly sorrow. That we're sorry that we're doing something that has hurt God and we want to change. But sometimes we get caught up in the pleasures of sin and unrighteousness and we want to continue in those and we try to justify it sometimes. But the truth condemns us. John warns of false teachers in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He goes on, and we know in other places there in verse 7 that the people are called the Antichrist. You know, those who teach something that's contrary to Christ. In Paul or in John's day, they were teaching that Jesus had not come in the flesh. But we know that He had. And John was a witness to that. And can you imagine being a witness to seeing Jesus and hearing someone say that He had not come in the flesh? How aggravating that would be? How disappointing that would be? How troublesome that would be? And John's trying to correct that. And he's trying to help them to see that there is truth. And John is the only New Testament writer who uses that word antichrist. And he uses it in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, chapter 2 and verse 22, and chapter 4 and verse 3. And those who deny the Lord's true nature are the Antichrist. Those who assert that Jesus was a mere man, a human being entirely, that there was no deity about Him, are those that are of the Antichrist. And those who deny that Jesus was and is the was Emmanuel, where it tells us in Matthew chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-three. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us." Jesus came to this earth. He left heaven and He came to this earth. He was 100% deity, but He was also 100% human. He had the human body, a human flesh, but He became uh, he, he, he was a deity. He was the God, the, the Son of God. He is God the Son. And so we need to understand that He is and that He has the power, the authority to say and to teach 
the words that He taught us. And He gave the authority to the apostles to teach the things that we need to know by giving them or sending the Holy Spirit or the Comforter to guide them in all truths. Those who deny that Jesus died are miserable people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, For I declare unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. The Scriptures show us. It's there. It's written. It's written for a reason so that you and I will believe. So that we can know that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is who He claimed to be. And when we deny the fact that He died, He died for our sins. And so if we deny the fact that He died, or even came to this earth as deity and as the Son of God, then we're denying the only one that had the power to take away our sins. Those who reject the biblical doctrine of the Lord's resurrection from the dead are in a lost condition because they don't want to accept the truth. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 12, it says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching vain, and our faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. There Paul is confronting those who want to say that there is no resurrection, that there is no judgment, basically. But here's what he's saying. If Christ hasn't come forth out of the grave, then we're preaching a false doctrine. Because Christ is the one who came to this earth. He came to this earth to live as an example and to die for our sins on a cross. And because He died on the cross, He was buried, and then He arose on the third day. If none of that is true, then He is not the Messiah. If that's not true, He is not the Messiah. And so we need to understand that Jesus is who He claimed to be. He is the Savior of us all. And when we deny that fact, we're denying the only remedy that we have for salvation. But men today pervert God's Word You see, the biblical doctrine of grace is perverted into a theology of unconditional grace. In other words, it's all up to God. That there's nothing that we can do or nothing that we need to do in order to to be saved. You see, salvation, as some would have it, is made an act of God apart from our response, a human response. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. That's one of the favorite passages that people many times go to. That we are saved by grace. And I will admit that. I think that any gospel preacher would admit that yes, we are saved by grace. But what is that grace? Grace is unmerited favor. And that grace is the plan that God has given to us that tells us how to be saved. Our faith is involved in that because when we hear that message, then we must obey it. Our faith moves us to do what God has said. 
As I mentioned Noah this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, his faith moved him when God said build an ark and he told him how, what size to make it, how many windows, how many doors, how, what, how to pitch it within and without, and then what to take into it. The Bible says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Why did he do that? Because he believed the message that God had sent. The grace that God had extended to him by saying, build an ark. And telling him that there was a flood that was going to come. And we know that it took 120 years for that ark to be prepared. And all that time, Noah was preaching while he built that ark. Not only with words, but I believe that in his example, he was teaching that what God says is important. And that faith moved him to listen to the grace that God had extended to him in building that ark. Well, that grace is the fact that, guess what? This is what you need to do to be saved. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do you believe that message? Do you believe what Jesus said on that occasion? If not, then why why be baptized? That's why it goes on to say, He that believeth not shall be damned. If you don't believe what the Lord says, then you're not really going to do it. And so it's important that we do it from the heart. We do it for the right reason. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says there, For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace has appeared to all men. That means everybody in this world has that grace extended to them. Now, is there anything that I need to do? Well, look at what the next verse says. Teaching us, that grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That grace has appeared to us. That grace is what tells us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and that we need to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. If that's not important, then why does the Scripture say that we need to do those things if it's all up to the grace of God? You see, God is good. And God can put conditions on what we need to do in order to have that salvation. And that's exactly what He's done. He wants us to accept what His Word teaches. Why? Because that Word is truth. And that truth is what will set us free. And so we need to obey that truth. I don't have the power. You don't have the power. No one on this planet has the power to change God's Word one bit. And that's what we need to understand. All people may come up with something that sounds good. Once saved, always saved. That sounds good. Who wouldn't want to have that? But is that what the Bible teaches us? You see, it is by the grace of God that we are saved, but it's also our faith that accepts that grace and moves us to obey the conditions that that grace has put forth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. If I can't be lost because of the grace of God, how could I receive that grace in vain if there's nothing for me to do? If there's nothing required out of me that all I have to do is accept Jesus and that grace is there, then nothing, it can't be taken away. 
then how could I accept it in vain? You see, there is more to it. You see, the denominational doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy is based on the premise of unconditional grace. And John urges God's people to watch out or to look to themselves because there's danger. Be careful. Don't believe everything you hear. As John said, try the spirits. Make sure they are from God. Make sure it is God's truth. Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to any preacher or anybody that's out there telling you what the Bible says. Make sure for yourself. Watch out for yourself. Be careful. The focus of evil attempts to deceive and to seduce God's people. You see, religious error and false doctrine can deceive us. It can be very tricky how people sometimes can manipulate God's Word. And we can see that lust of the flesh and desires of the flesh also seduce God's saints. As we see in John chapter or James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted neither with evil, neither tempteth He any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." You see, sometimes false doctrine may pull us away. Sometimes it's the lust of the flesh where we want to participate in sin and we want to be active in that sin. That's not God working. That's our going after our own desires, our own flesh, and fulfilling that flesh. And when we do, we see that it leads to sin and it leads to death. A separation from God. And so is it important as a Christian that we remain faithful? Is it important that we live the Christian life? The Bible tells us it's important. And we see that it's important. And so our response is the fact that John urges his people, God's people, to look to themselves. So how can men attempt to prove that once saved, always saved is not true? Well, sometimes people want to say that it's true because they read certain passages and they come to that conclusion. Uh, of their own. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, that's one of the passages where people will say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from God. Well, listen to what it says. It said, beginning of verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." We find from other passages of the Scripture that Jesus came to this earth. Why? Because God so loved the world. God loves us. Christ loves us. There's nothing that will separate us from that love that they have for us except us separating ourselves from them. 
And I separate myself from them when I sin because we know that sin separates us from God. Isaiah tells us that. That our sin and iniquity separates us from God. And so this is talking about the love that Christ has for us. Nothing can stop Him from loving us. Yes, He loves us. You say, well, if He loves us as His people, then why would He condemn us? Well, God loves all people. He loves everyone. But Jesus said, if you love Me, what? Keep My commandments. Why call ye Me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Well, is it important that we do what the Lord says? Is it important that we are obedient to His will? It most certainly is. And when we fail to do what He's telling us to do, can we really say that we love the Lord? You see, the point, or they point out passages that emphasize what God can do through His power, such as John chapter 10 and verse 18, where it says, And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. You know, if I'm a faithful Christian, no one can take me away from God. But can I take myself away from God? I think the answer is yes. I can pull myself away from God. I can stop being faithful. And that's why it's so important that we know what the Bible teaches and that we realize that yes, we can be lost. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, another passage that oftentimes is used, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. Again, faith is important. You say, What I do, I think the Lord accepts. You think that or I think I'm faithful. Well, remember, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is based upon the truth of God's word. It isn't what I feel. It isn't what I hope. It's not what I think it might be. It's the truth of God's Word. That's where that faith has to come from. You see, God told Noah, build an ark out of gopher wood. Now, Noah could have said, hey, you know, uh, I don't really want to use gopher wood. Maybe I'll use you know pine that's over here. It's pretty easy to get to, so I'm going to get me some pine and I'll use it. The question is, would he have obeyed God? Better yet, would that ark have floated when that flood took place? As I said earlier, Noah did exactly what God commanded him to do, and we are here today as a result of that because he obeyed the truth that God had given to him. That faith that we have must be based upon the Word of God. It cannot be based upon what we feel or hope or want or desire. It has to be based upon the truth. And that's what we should want. That's what we should hope for. And that's what we should desire, the truth of God's Word. You see, human response does not nullify the salvation by grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And a lot of times people stop and say, well, there's nothing that I can do. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, here's the point. I can't do enough on my own to tell God that He has to give me salvation. That He has to give me heaven. I can't do enough on my own. All the good that I do is based upon what the Bible tells me is good. 
You see, the world that we live in, you hear people that are calling good evil and evil good. That happens. And you may think, well, you know, I, I agree with the world, but if it's contrary to God's Word, it's not the truth. It's not good. He, God tells us what's good. And He tells us what we need to do. And so when I believe and repent and confess and I'm baptized and then I'm faithful, I'm doing it because those are the works that God has told me that I must have in my life. And I want to serve Him and please Him. So it's not a, something that I can do and say, God, you've got to give it to me. Because I do need and you need the blood of Christ. And the only way we can come in contact with that blood is through our obedience to the Gospel. And that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection to all creatures. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do I need to believe that message? That Jesus died for my sins and that He was buried and He rose victorious over the grave? I most certainly do. And when I believe that message, do I stop there? No. I have to continue to do what the Lord tells me to do. And that's to be buried with our Lord in baptism. To have our sins washed away. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1-6. through 6. And we find other things that we need to do like repent of our sins. Luke chapter 13, verses 3-5. and 5. And certainly faith is something that's important. But the fact that salvation by grace comes through faith and faith is is a human response. Because in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He did what He claimed that He came to this earth to do. And man must receive God's grace, as we see in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. And, and we do that by obeying the teachings of grace. Again, Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Which one of those can I leave off? Which one of those things that it says it teaches us uh, can I leave off ungodly or godliness? Uh, you know, ungodliness is it okay for me to go out in the world and live an ungodly life and still claim to have that grace? No. Can I go out in the world and 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 have all the worldly lusts and do the things that are out there and be pleasing to God? No. So we understand that there are certain things that you and I must do in order to have that salvation. To have that home in heaven with our Lord forever. And so Paul urges the Corinthian Christians to take heed and to be careful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 12, when he says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Today we live in a world filled with false doctrine. If God's Word is the standard by which religious doctrine is evaluated, we know that error exists. We know that some of the things that we hear in the religious world is false doctrine. We may hear people even in the Lord's church who are presenting things that is wrong, that is false, 
And they can be guilty of the same thing that we talk about others out there in the religious world doing. You see, when you hear things like salvation is by faith alone, or one church is as good as another, or that Jesus is coming back to establish a kingdom here on this earth, those things are not found in the Bible. And so we need to be on guard because the appeal of the world through sinful pleasure and the lust is strong now because the opportunities that we have, such as television, the internet, all of those things bring it into our homes if we're not very careful. And it can have an impact on our lives. And it can cause us sometimes to compromise what we know to be the truth. Don't allow that to happen. You see, the reason to look to ourselves is the reward. God has told us what we, what we will have if we are faithful. We know that there is a home in heaven. We know that Jesus, as He tells us in John chapter 14, has gone to prepare a place for us. And as I mentioned, we see the confidence that the Apostle Paul had that he knew that those crown, that crown was laid up for him. He knew that he could be victorious. And we know that if we're faithful, even if it costs us our life, that we have a home in heaven, that we have that crown of life also. And so we know that our reward as a Christian for being faithful to the truth is a home in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice. Be glad. Think about what we have, what God has promised to us. And shouldn't that bring joy and happiness to our lives? You know, you look at King David. And when he sinned with Bathsheba, we see the dark side of, uh, of David. And we see how he felt empty inside. And we see that there was dryness, he said, in his bones. And he asked God to restore the joy of salvation. Salvation makes, gives us joy. It should make us feel good inside knowing that we're pleasing God. doesn't mean we're happy with all the things that are going, around, are going on in the world. Doesn't mean that we may be even happy with the struggles that we're going through, but we can have the peace that passes all understanding. And we can have that joy that lifts us up and encourages us and keeps us going, keeps us motivated, because we love the truth and we want to walk in that truth. That reward can motivate us in many different areas. And we see that there's motivation in education, you get a diploma. You know that in sports you may win a trophy. In, a per, in, in work you may receive a promotion or a raise. Those, those things motivate us many times. That's the fact that we have a home in heaven. Is that motivation enough to keep us on that straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life? The full reward is explained by the Apostle Peter as an abundant entrance in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11. through and so John warns of the possibility of losing that full reward because of false doctrine. And he warns us, and we'll talk about that next week when we look at verses 9 and 10, that it can cause one to lose that full reward because we're unfaithful to Christ and to His church. And when we're unfaithful to Christ or to His church or both, we can lose that reward that He's promised us. And so our text in 2 John verse 8 is just as practical for our lives as it was in the days of John. Because the possibility of apostasy is still there. 
It's not a probability, but it's a possibility. And so we need to be on guard. Look to ourselves. Realize how important it is that we stay on that straight and narrow by heeding the warnings of this passage and other passages in the New Testament that encourages us to be faithful. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died on a cross so that you could have the forgiveness of sin. And He tells us what we need to do. I've already mentioned many of those things that He tells us. We need to have faith. That faith comes by hearing God's Word. Romans 10 and verse 17. And we know that without faith it is impossible to please Him according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. We must turn from our sin according to Luke verses 13 verse, or chapter 13 verses 3 and 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What does that mean? That means stop doing the worldly things. Turn, put your trust and faith in Christ and do what He tells us to do and let Him guide our lives. We need to confess the name of Christ before men and then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As it was told to Paul when he was Saul, known as Saul of Tarsus, Ananias went unto him and asked him, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we do what the Lord tells us to do, we're calling on Him to do what He says He will do. And so when we're obedient to His will, He's promised that He'll wash those sins away and we can come up out of that water a new creature cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you need to do that, we're here tonight to help you. If you have any questions, we're here to try to answer those things. If you have a need to respond to our invitation tonight, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sit.